There are some things in our lives that we encounter that we walk away completely changed. There's those experiences that kind of help shape us, kind of uh, um, imprint ideals and values because of what we've experienced. They just have life-altering effects on us. In fact, sometimes these personal encounters leave us permanently changed. We call them life-changing moments, mountaintop experiences, epiphanies, God moments. We've all experienced them. And maybe experiencing them, after experiencing them, we walk away and we're changed. Sometimes just for a brief time, sometimes it impacts the rest of our lives. We go in a completely different direction. We encounter what we're encountering, and then those times when we encounter God, these experiences, these moments, these events, cause us to consider going in a completely different direction because we've experienced the living God. And sometimes they happen in a variety of ways. For me, along the way, there's been these, I call, spike moments in my walk with Jesus where, yes, I'm saved, and this sanctification process is a journey, and I continue to try to become more like him along the way. And, and John, 1 John 3, 2 says, there will come a time we will be as he is, we will be like him. But perfect sanctification doesn't take place until post-death rapture and when we have our new bodies and new minds but there are these things that just happen to us i mean the first time i saw the grand canyon about five years ago our family drove out west um just took a vehicle out and uh, i was going to a conference in california so we started to drive and along the way we stopped at some historical places mount rushmore and crazy horse and and on the way back we came back the, the long swing and we went to the grand canyons and you had heard about it and i had seen pictures and watched videos in, in the classroom but i remember driving into to this place that i had seen pictures and heard about it and heard people say this place is just incredible and i remember standing over the, the Grand Canyon and just looking out across and my, my, my children and I crawled out way out to the cliff and Ann was just freaking out. We we're just standing there. And, but I remember standing there and just, remember just kept saying, wow, wow, wow. Th that's all I could speak. It was just like only our God could create something that is just this incredibly beautiful. Creation has the ability, his creation. Then there's these times that maybe you find yourself in other places. Uh, last spring, I had the, uh, the, the, the privilege of being able to go to Alaska for the first time. It was able to go on a bear hunt. And I remember getting, flying into Alaska and then and taking a boat from uh, a Whittier out across the, to Prince William Sound, out across the Alaskan Bay. And there were, there were killer whales that were jumping out in front of us. And, 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 and while we were hunting, there were, there were eagles swooping down and picking up fish right around us and otters floating on their back. And, and I remember seeing, just being in the wild, tending out for eight nights on, on this beautiful place called Alaska. And I had, had seen pictures of it and, and I was longing to be there. But I remember just standing there and just saying, wow, there is a God. He is, he's real. And even there's a portrait in my office of Sam Armington and myself, and it almost looks like I've been photoshopped into this beautiful background. And it's like, no, that's, that's where I was at. God created that. And then there's other moments, like the birth of your children, if you've had that moment. 
We just watch this, this infant that, that you and your wife have created, and this child comes out, and it's just, you know, just through all the, 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 the moment that's taking place, there, there's this sense of, look what God did. And then you look at this child, and you say, they got my ears, and they got her nose, and they look like grandma, and they look like Uncle Bob, and, you know, it's just, it's like, wow, it's just, it, you don't walk away from those encounters and say there isn't a God. And then there's those answers to those prayer requests that you've been praying about for years and years and years. And it's like you pray and you pray and you pray and all of a sudden you receive a phone call or you get a text message or maybe it's a personal uh, answer to your own. It's like there is a God. Maybe it's just a little tap on your shoulder when you needed a touch from someone. And you are just, you're walking through this difficult time and someone just happens to touch you on your shoulder and says, you know what? I prayed for you. There's life-altering experiences. Or maybe it's one of those times when you've prayed a long time to see someone come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a husband. Maybe it's a wife. Maybe, maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's a boss. And it's like, they, they, they bend their knees and they surrender to Jesus and you're in that moment, you're standing out in the crowd and you're just, you're, you're a sobbing mess because Jesus has encountered their lives, they've encountered him and everything changes. One of my lifelong passions is to see people find Jesus Christ and follow hard after him. I mean, I lose sleep over those kind of thoughts at night Boy, if, if only he could, and, and if she could, and, and if they could have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, then they would see differently. They would live differently. One of my personal desires for me and you is to become signposts that when people run into us, literally, they know that you've been with Jesus and you point them to Jesus. And for others, somehow, a desire of mine is to look at the lives of someone else that's in love with Jesus Christ and say there's something different about that person because they've met Jesus. But is that the case when they see you out in public? Is that the case for me? Is that the case when they see you eating supper in a restaurant? Is that the case when they watch you mowing the lawn? Is that the case when they watch you on the golf course? Is that the case when they see you coach or teach or, or mother your children or father your kids? Is that the case when they see you with your wife in public or your husband in public? Is that the case when they see you in the classroom when you're a student? Is that the case when all hell breaks loose in your life? Do they see Jesus? Do you point them to Jesus? Do they say he's different, she's different because they've had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ? Because when you truly encounter Jesus, and he impacts your life, you should live differently because you have seen, you have witnessed the power of a living God. Because you have a personal relationship, a personal encounter with the living God. All through the New Testament, someone encountered Jesus, you, you see this direction they go in, it's like they were heading in this direction, all of a sudden they encounter Jesus and then they go in another direction. Even Thomas, even post-cross, post-resurrection, Thomas wanted Jesus inner 12. 
Jesus was walking along and he wanted to go to Thomas and Thomas says, I won't believe until you show me the scars in your hands and the side and the holes in your hands. And Thomas says, I'm not believing until I can take my finger and put it through the hole. And Jesus said, okay, put it through the hole. And he put it, stood there and he says, here's the side, here's the wound. And Thomas said this in scripture, my Lord and my God. Scripture gives us instances that Jesus was alive post-resurrection. So when you see a life change, it changes you. I can t- recall many times as we've had uh, floats go through the Elkhart County Parade. I can recall 10 years ago, one of our first floats going through, and they saw this guy playing a guitar on, on our float. And, I, and there was someone who was, who was just moved back to this community, and they were along the way, and they saw this person that they went to high school with, and they said something like this, wow, if that person... If that person is now a follower of, of God, then I gotta go see what's happening there because of their life. I knew them before, I know them now. There's a person in the Bible today that I wanna take a look at, and I wanna show you what happens to him in this journey when he encounters the living God post-cross, post-resurrection, and everything changes for him. Grab your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And we're going to look at verses 32 through 43. In fact, we're going to read it. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. We're going to jump into a man's life by the name of Peter. And I'm going to show you what he looked like post-seeing Jesus, post-resurrection, post-cross. And then we're going to look at his life prior to that. And we're going to ask this question. What caused the change? Why is he so different here than these other places we see in Scripture? And I'm going to show you why that is. But turn to Acts chapter 9, and we're going to look at, read verses 32 to 43. Stand with me, and we'll read it together. Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 43. Let's read this together. Ready? Read. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda, where he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, take care of your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About the time she became sick and died, her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with him. Peter sent them out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead women, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. You may have a seat. That's a peak at Peter's life, post-cross, post-resurrection. He had encountered the living God. And so 
That's where we began. But I'm going to show you what happened prior to that and how these spike marks along the way and this incredible encounter changed his life. I'll begin by saying this as we think about observing and watching people. We got to be careful in our lives when we look to man to try to find out where Jesus is at. And we got to be careful that we don't become too quick to judge someone. So when you look at someone who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we have to be very careful that we aren't quick to judge that person and say, well, if they were a Christ follower, then this would be true, that would be true, and this would be true. There is this unsettling thread of theology that's running in our circles today that wants to quickly judge a person by every action. And then there's these conclusions that are, that are kind of drafted after looking at their evidence of what they see and to the veracity of their faith, and people will say, well, then I'm not certain they were truly saved. Scripture is clear that we should examine a person and see what fruit they have. But we must be very careful when we begin to say, that's the fruit, that's how much fruit, and this is the fruit that should always be there. We have, and you'll see it all through Christianity, we have these neatly drawn value systems of theology that pile on, this person must be like this, this person must have that, this person must be this, and then we throw all these values in what we perceive what a person should look like who has a saving relationship with Jesus. We throw them all into this blender, and then they all come out and we say, that's what they should look like. And if they don't look like that, then they can't be saved. So then, here's what happens. We chase down someone who agrees with us, or someone that we have been following. And so we're, we're infiltrated with all kinds of abilities for technology to follow people. And so what we do, we chase down the next podcast, the next tweet, the next blog, the next preacher, the next book, the next cr real Christian who looks like what we believe. And so that becomes our theology system. Well, he said this, and he wrote that, and she said that. And so that's what a Christ follower should look like. And so then here's what happens. We start following man. We start following men, and we start following preachers, and we start following writers of books. And then what happens, instead of being Jesus followers and looking at what he says a Christ follower looks like, we become Piperites, and Grahamites, and Driscollites, and Platteites, and Deverites, and Gospel Coalitionites, and Reformites, and many otherites. Instead of just being a Jesusite, I marvel at all the proof test texting and all the teleological arguments that prevail over what Jesus said. Let me, let, me be, let me preface what I'm about to say by saying this. I will argue today that every Christian is on a progressive sanctification journey. Big word, which just means every day we're becoming more like Christ. Every day we should be look more like him and strive to become more like him. And so it's progressive. It's not that you get saved, you're just like Jesus. And so it's this journey. It has some bumps along the way, but the desire is that we're totally and daily climbing. But there's a starting point in our lives. And then we have these encounters, personal encounters with Jesus along the way that cause these spike marks in our walks with him. Where Jesus is so real to us that there is no denying that he's real. And in turn, it changes the way we live from that point on. I call them faith deposits along the way. Every, all of us have them. 
I mean, I can look back over my life. I got saved as an early child at four years old. But where I'm at now compared to where I was at four years old, I'm a different person. But was I saved at four? Absolutely, yes. But there's been these deposits, these encounters with God along the way that has shaped me and, and put faith into my faith tank. I mean, I have thousands of them. You have thousands of them. One simple one. I can remember driving, uh, going to seminary, taking our, my, my, my two kids and going to seminary and, and basically trusting God, stepping out in faith. We had enough for five weeks of money and, and we moved into this small place. And I remember Anne was going to visit some friends down in Rochester, Indiana. She took her van along the way. The van breaks down along the side of the road. And we didn't have any money to fix the van. Zero. We, didn't have, we lived payday to payday, zero in the bank. And so we received this call. She was, got out and started to walk to McDonald's in Rochester, way before cell phones. And she got to the McDonald's, and she called me up at home. And I, fortunately, I was just getting home, listened to the answer machine. And she says, Jim, I broke down. I said, well, I'll, I'll find a way to pick you up. So I called a friend up, one of my best buddies in seminary. And I, and I said, Al, we need to go down and pick up Ann. The vehicle broke down. Can you take me? So he says, sure. So he comes over and picks me up in his Ford Fiesta. So we're driving down. I said, we got to get there quick. We get almost to Rochester. He's flying in this Ford Fiesta. The Fiesta throws a rod. We break down. And so we're on our way to pick up my wife. The car's broke down. I have no way to talk to her. And so we get out. We start walking. And we're walking along the way. And so we walk about five miles until we could get down the road. And I said, can you call someone? He said, well, I'll call my brother. So he calls his brother back in Warsaw. His brother gets a car and drives in this suburban, picks us up at the car dealership down in Rochester. We finally get to Ann's like, wow, that was a long time. I said, honey, had no way to get a hold of you. You won't believe this story. Make a long story short. The electronic ignition module went out in our van, and it was $287 and some odd cents, 15 or 16 cents. So we left the vehicle there. Monday, we call down, and this dealer down there said, I can fix your van for 287 plus some change. We'd have 287. And so I said, as soon as we get the money, we'll send someone down. The very next day, in the mail, at where we were living on Pope Avenue in Winona Lake, I go to the mailbox the very next day, go to the mailbox, open up a letter from someone who had written a letter to us. We open up the letter, and in this letter was something said something like this. Jim and Ann, God woke us up a couple days ago and said that we need to send you this check for $290. Prior to the vehicle breaking down. And so they sent us a check for $290. The bill for the, for the electronic ignition module was $287 and plus cents. So we were able to get a happy meal out of this. So we drove back down there. It's like, yeah, praise God. There are these encounters along the way that you realize there's a God out there. You have them and I have them. With all the prolific information that is available to us today in social media, it's very easy for us to become followers of all kinds of people and let them shape our thinking instead of Jesus shaping our thinking. I spend a lot of time in Christian conversations with people, and it goes something like this. Well, if that church or that person or those people over there were truly saved, then it would, they would look like this. And so right away, they go to this recent book that they read, or they go to this person that they're following. And, or, or, and they'll say things like, well, if that church 
or that group of believers, or that, that individual, if they were truly a follower of Christ, then they would look like this. Or, they, or if that place was really following Christ, then they would speak about salvation and sin and hell and whatever, and then people would look a lot different. In turn, they are saying this. They don't look like what I think they should look like. And so what they do, they go to the next church down the road and try to find someone who matches up to whatever ike they're following. And what has happened is, in many areas, people will fight for a man instead of fighting for Jesus. Well, they don't practice like he said, and I read this in a book, and the nuances and practices aren't there, and the methods aren't the same. And in some way, a church does, should look like I want it to look like. Meanwhile, their neighbor is going to hell, and they haven't shared their faith, but they're ready to tell you why you're not doing it right. I always say, go back to Jesus. What did he say? How did he do it? What is he calling the church to do? And even better, what did his disciples look like? Because, now think about this, just pause in a second, think. What did Jesus' disciples look like? If in fact, we should know what a disciple looks like, what did Jesus' disciples look like? The 12 that he spent almost three years with. Because surely, he had the perfect Bible study, right? He had the perfect words to say, and when they came to him with questions, he had the perfect answers. He fed them perfect meals. He had the perfect method. He had the perfect prayer. He had the perfect model. And so surely, if you look at them, then somehow that's what you should look like. Well, just, just think about that for a moment with me now. Think about his inner 12. These were the men that he spent three years with. We had a traitor, by the way. You remember him, Judas? That was the guy that Jesus had Bible studies with. That was the guy that Jesus taught how to pray. That was the guy that was like his elder. And, and somehow along the way, Jesus looks at him and says, there's gonna be one of you here that's going to, to, to walk away from the faith, the person that I feed. And so, how could that happen? He gave a perfect Bible study. He gave a perfect prayer. He had the perfect worship time, didn't he? So if you're looking at a man, then you got to be careful because a man isn't Jesus. Play that out some more. Did Jesus do something wrong in his discipleship? Let me ask this question. Would you go to Jesus' church if there was a Judas there? Do you see what's happening here? When you begin to follow man and not follow Jesus, man will let you down. His inner circle, think about this. When Jesus was on the cross... His men that he poured into, his leaders that he developed, there wasn't in hardly anyone there at the cross. They were afraid. If you would have looked around, wouldn't you think that the, the 12 that followed him that he poured into would be standing or kneeling at the cross? They were hardly anywhere to be seen. It's like, well, were they just kind of real shallow believers? Would you go to Jesus' church? Is that the kind of disciples he produced? Can you see where this, this thinking begins to take you? They scattered. They went back to fishing because they thought he died. He was done. Yet he had taught them, I'm going to come back. Yet he taught them and 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 taught them. They saw the miracles and miracles and miracles and miracles. They saw the change lives, change lives, and change lives. And yet at the cross, they scattered. Seriously, was Jesus' discipleship program a good one? What would you say to that? Was it? Was his program a good Would you go to that church if that's the kind of disciples that it produced? 
The proof is in the people, right? We got to be careful here, Grace Community. Because if you're looking to a man to find Jesus, you won't find Jesus every time. Think about the early church, by the way. We always talk about the early church. Oh, I wish we could go back to the early church. Let's look at the early church. How about the church that Paul wrote about in Colossians, the Colossian church? That church was apostate. That church had turned away from the word. And so he's writing him. He says, get back to the truth. Wait a minute. That was the early church? Or how about, let's go back to the early church. How about the church with the Galatian people? Paul writes to them and says, you better clean up your act. Throw away those idols. Is that the model? That's really close to Jesus' death, his resurrection. Do we want to go back and be the early church? Or how about the church at Philippi, the Philippian church? Think about that church. When Paul wrote to that church, there was this cat fight among women ministry leaders. Is that the church you would go to? Or how about the church at Corinth? Think about this for a second. They had temples, they had prostitutes in the temple. They had drunks. He says, watch out for those drunks. And then, then that was only like the first letter. He had to write a second letter. It's like, wow, that's the church, the early church? You know, when I read those early churches and I think that that's the kind of disciples it produce, I feel really good about Grace Community Church. You see what happens when we begin to, to say, let's look at man instead of Jesus? How about the person Jesus said he would build his church upon, Peter? Let's look at his life. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. Turn back to Matthew chapter 18. What we're going to find today is that man will let you down. Turn to Matthew chapter 18 and look at verse 16. The same Peter that just saw these two people healed, this is prior to him seeing Christ in this incredible counter post-cross. Jesus says this about him in Matthew chapter 18. Look at Matthew chapter 18 and verse 16. I mean, think, th th think about who Peter is. Matthew 16, eight, maybe it's 16, 18. Maybe I, let's go there. Yeah, 16, 18. Matthew 16, 18 says this. In verse 17, it says this. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but my Father in heaven. Then he says this. He says, I tell you that you are who? What's it say? Peter. And on this what? I will build my what? And the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. So Jesus is looking at Peter and he's saying, hey, on this rock, Petros, on Peter, I will build my church. That's a pretty, pretty, pretty bold statement there. Well, turn to John chapter, John chapter 18. Let's take a look at Peter's life. Let's see what kind of church that Jesus was going to build upon Peter. Turn to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. Please, John chapter 18 and verse 15. Same man that we opened up with that saw healing. Someone was dead that came back to life and, and they, they prayed over this person in the power and authority of Jesus Christ. This is prior to that. But this is John 18 and Jesus said back in Matthew, I'm gonna build, build a church upon you, Peter. And then in verse chapter 18, Jesus has been arrested. It's right before the cross. And so here's a conversation. It says in verse 15 of chapter 18, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because they had arrested him. Because the disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. And in verse 17, 
You are not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied what? I am what? Wait a minute. Jesus said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Wait a minute. This was one of the inner 12. This is, Jesus has spent three years of leadership training with this man. And now the chance for him to say, I'm a Christ follower. When Jesus arrested, he said, no, I don't know him. Do you know him? No, I don't know him. Now, would you go to that church if that's the kind of disciples that were being produced? Well, read on. It says in verse 18, it was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire they, they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Who heard me? His disciples and others. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, and why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him, still bound, to Caiaphas, the high priest. And then it says this in verse 25. As Simon what? Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, you are not one of his disciples, are you? And then it says this. He denied it by saying what? I am not. Come on. Is that perfect discipleship? He had a chance to say, yes, he's the father. He's the leader. He is who he said he was. I watched him. I was at all his, his, his teachings, and I'm one of his. I'm one of his leaders. He denies him. Look on in verse 26. One of the high priest's servants of a relative, a man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you cut off? Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? And Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Some disciple, by the way, huh? Would you go to his Bible studies? Would you have showed up to his Bible studies and let him teach you? Imagine... All the people right now, all the speckites in our world today, those looking to find splendor in someone else's life, there is no way they would say he's saved. He can't be saved. That, 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 that leader, whomever it is, he's not doing a very good job of pouring into that man. That church must be an inch deep and a mile wide. He was one of the leaders of the church. I want to say, can we stop this nonsense of looking at man to try to find Jesus? If the God of the universe, after spending three years with these men and led them to a discipleship journey, produced this kind of disciple, what does that say about him? Can, can we say he was truly a follower, Peter? Absolutely, yes. But sanctification is a process. And there are times when we don't look so good. And in those times we don't look so good, it doesn't mean that we're not saved. And so Peter denies him three times, one of the leaders of the church. Here's the problem. We keep looking at men to find Jesus. We need to look, be looking at Jesus to find Jesus. If you go to Jesus, you'll see consistency. You'll see what a Savior looks like. You'll hear what he has to say, and you can trust in him. And when you encounter him, you leave permanently changed. If you're trying to have a personal encounter with a man and leave permanent change, you won't. Let me give you just a very practical example. I talk to my kids about this a lot. But we were at Momentum speaking at a youth conference. I was there uh, last year. 
And Isaiah, I normally bring my family along, and we were walking from like building to building, and you pass all these teens, and I had a chance to speak at Momentum Youth Conference, you know, for a couple thousand teenagers, bunches of times. And so we're walking along, and Isaiah's walking with me. I, I love to take my kids with me to, to just teachable moments. We're walking along, and as we walk by, this, these, these kids, guys walk by us, and we heard them as we left, that's Jim Brown. Did you see him? That's Jim Brown. Can you believe that was Jim Brown we just walked past? And Isaiah says, Dad, isn't that weird? I just want to say, no, that's just my dad. And so we had this conversation. I said, Isaiah, that's right. I'm just your dad. And don't ever let someone hero worship anybody, nor should you hero worship anybody. Because listen, you know me and I know you, and we're human beings who've been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And the only person that we should ever be in awe of is Jesus Christ. But here's what happens. We follow man instead of following Jesus. So Pete has a personal encounter with Jesus. Did he? Sure, absolutely yes. Because he left everything and followed Jesus for three years. Yet one step, he left his job. Now the next step we see, he's denying Christ. But his journey would be progressive. We can't be too quick to judge someone. The God of the universe had one of his leaders say three times, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. The God of the universe who had the person he said, upon you I will build my church, say, I don't know anything about him. The God of the universe who had the best discipleship program in the world produced some pretty, pretty skimpy and wimpy disciples if you ask me. The goal, though, is to keep growing. Keep in mind here, the same Peter that was healing people in Acts chapter 9, in the opening scripture, we read now is still having his ups and downs, but he's moving forward. In fact, Jesus died, he's resurrected, and the disciples have scattered to fish. And so they're on the shoreline, they're consoling each other, and they're not certain all that's taking place because they're, 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 they're bothered by this death. And so they go back, and their default system to recover was go fishing. So they went to go fishing, and while they were fishing, they weren't catching many fish. And so this man appears on the shoreline and says, hey, cast your net over there. And they're like, dude, we're fishermen. But just throw it over there. So they throw their net over there, and they catch 153 fish. Because it was Jesus, by the way. Who took the time to count those fish? Numbers are important to Jesus. And so they find out that it's Jesus. Meanwhile, they're overfishing. He encounters them. The goal is to keep growing. And so Jesus is about to see Peter. Peter is about to meet the risen Jesus. The, the, the post-cross Jesus. All of a sudden, this encounter will change his life in a dramatic way, another spike mark in this progressive sanctification. And from this moment on, everything changes. Look at John chapter 21. John chapter 21, just turn to John chapter 21 in verse 15. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus was, was, was buried, and now he's resurrected. He meets these disciples after fishing, and all of a sudden, Peter sees him post-resurrection. Watch what happens. Look at verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. He restored him. 
First time. Again, Simon said, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. He's restoring the second time he denied him. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? All right, enough, Jesus. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. He cancels out all the three times that he denied him. And then he says this, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and, and went where you wanted. But you are, are old and it will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. And so Peter has a post-resurrection encounter with the personal living God. Jesus reinstates him. He doesn't say he lost his salvation. He reinstates him. And Jesus said, by the way, this is the, the manner by which you will die. This encounter will have another spike mark in your life. And this will add a faith deposit to your faith bank. And you will live completely different from here on out. How would this change the direction of Peter's life post-resurrection? Up to this point, he followed Jesus. And he listened and he watched. He went to all the Bible studies. He went to all Jesus' fishing clinics and healing services. He went to all Jesus Feed My Starving Children outreaches. But now another spike mark occurs in his life, a personal encounter with the post-cross Jesus. Now everything would change in a completely different manner. Up to this point, Jesus and his preaching had produced a pretty unhealthy church, if you ask me. And many of you and others might have just criticized this church and went to the church down the road because of the people. You might have said, that doesn't look like my orange book that I read. Well, if that was his leaders, then how can that be a legit church? I can't overemphasize something here, that every person is in a different spot on this timeline called sanctification. And we must remember that we were too. See, we often expect people to look like we do 20 years post-salvation. And it goes something like this. Someone gets saved, and we've been saved for 20 years, and hopefully we've been growing. And so we look back, and we see this person who still struggles with these habits. We see this still person who's still trying to overcome this, this, this language. We see this person who's still trying to work through this stuff, and we say, why don't they just clean their act up completely and, and show that they are followers of God? And here's what happens. We forget that it took us a very long time to get to where we're at by Jesus' grace. We often expect someone to look like we do 20 years down the road. And if they don't, then there must be something wrong. Listen to me clearly. There is not a fast food line for Jesus Christ. It's a crock pot method. Throw it all in the pot, stir it up, turn up the heat, and let it slowly get good, real good. Peter is growing. Think about it. He cut off Malchus's ear. He denied Christ three times. Prior to that, he walked on the water. He had a high point. Now... He gets three times he denies Christ, and now we're going to see, we read in Acts, all of a sudden now he's in this room telling people who are dead, get up and walk. How did that happen? Jesus is gone and ascended into heaven, and now the wimpy disciples that Jesus built are left to start the church, but everything changes now, and here's why. Once you encounter a post-resurrection Jesus, you're never the same again. 
Now it all made sense to Peter. Think about some of Jesus' hard teaching. When Jesus would talk about the future and he said, three days I'll be, I'll be in the, 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 the uttermost parts of the earth. And when Jesus would say, you won't understand till you eat my flesh and you carry a cross, that somehow he said, I must leave you. Now all this began to make sense. All these teachings were making sense. And now the culmination of him seeing Jesus post-resurrection, he'll never be the same again. Peter saw the risen Savior. It's obvious because everything changed. You want evidence that Jesus is alive? You want evidence that demands a verdict? Here it is. Peter is going in a different direction. He's now praying over dead bodies. He's praying for people to be healed. And in fact, his life would never be the same after this encounter. He would leave permanently changed. He saw the risen Savior. Turn back to Acts again. Turn back to Acts. This is where we began. Look at Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 and verse 32. Please turn there. Acts chapter 9 and verse 32. Let's, let's read this again. Now we read this in the context. Peter has seen the risen Lord. Jesus is ascended into heaven. Let's read what this Peter looks like. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda, where he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ does what? What's he say? Heals you. Then he said what? Get what? Get up. Take care of your mat. And it says, what's the next word? Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to who? See what Peter did? He didn't want them to turn to him. He said, I want to be a signpost for Jesus Christ that I saw the risen Lord and by the power and authority in Jesus' name and the fact that he lives in me. Listen to me. We have power in Jesus Christ. And it said that when this person was healed, they immediately, people got saved and turned to the Lord. He pushed them away from himself and he said, it's not about man, it's about Jesus. Look next, Look, read on, verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which then translated as Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two to him and urged him, please come at once. Why? Why did they want him to come? Because they had heard that through the power and authority of Jesus Christ, that people were being healed, and people were being saved, and people were being pointed to Jesus. And the rock that Jesus said the church would be built upon was living up to, to the name Petros. And so they said, go get him. Then it says this in verse 29. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the, window, all the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with him. Peter sent them all out of the room. Why did he send them out of the room? Because every time in Scripture when Jesus was, where it was a healing, you look at when Peter is with them, he often sent the people away. So Peter's just doing what Jesus did. He got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people, what? Believed in the Lord. Now, I don't know what that does for you, but when I read that, I see a man that was permanently changed. I don't see him running from an opportunity to exalt Jesus. I see a man that's a signpost for Jesus. They're not worshiping the man. They're worshiping the Savior whose power and authority rest inside of this man. And because of that, people are being healed and people are being saved. And all glory goes to Jesus Christ. 
once you encounter, you're permanently changed. A post-resurrection Jesus. Here's where I want to end this message today. Look at the faith of this man now. Look at his boldness. Look at his trust in God. Look at how people are being won over to saving knowledge of Jesus, not Peterites. They're Jesusites. In fact, verse 33 and 34 says this person had been bedridden for eight years. Have you ever seen a person who's been bedridden for eight years? They're hopeless. They got bed sores all over them. The family has given up. They're standing by there and they got health care coming in. Hospice visits them regularly. They're just waiting for this person to basically die. Peter walks in the power and authority of Jesus Christ and says Jesus can heal. And this person was healed. Then in verse 40, he walks into this room and this person is dead. Tabitha is dead. But when he saw the risen Lord, he didn't care if he looked like a fool. Okay. Now, I'm not an extremist here by any means of imagination. I'm not, I'm very conservative in my faith. I don't think that Peter went there with, with this assumption that somehow presuming upon God that God always has to heal. No way, I, I don't believe that. In some cases, God totally heals when someone is ushered into heaven. Yet, what does this do for your faith when you see this? I see a man who believes if God is capable of, God tells us that, that we should ask. The reason we, most of us don't have is because we ask not. I see evidence that he just believed in Jesus and it was in his power and authority and this person was changed. Now, think how weird this was for a second, by the way. Can you imagine going to a viewing at Reith, Ert, and Roar? funeral home or Yoder Kalp, and you're going through the receiving line and you're shaking hands and this crazy lunatic is in front of you kneeling at the coffin, praying for this dead body to get up. Now, I don't know about you, but that would look very strange to me. Okay, maybe that won't look strange to you. When's the last time you've been to a viewing where someone got down and just, and believed that that could happen? Here's the question. I'm not so concerned about the act. I'm concerned that do you have faith that Jesus can possibly still heal people today? Or are we saying that somehow Jesus used all his healing power up on the disciples and the people of his day? That he can still do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Why? Because he's Jesus. And so when you read a verse like that, do you say, well, he can't, but, but this, that, there's, there's no way. You see, when you encounter Jesus... He can do some things that your mind hasn't even conceived yet. Does he have to? No. Can he? Sure. Does he want to? Well, he wants to care for his kids. You see, we look at people strangely when they step out in faith and say, you know, I'm going to send my son to college, and, and by faith I'm going to believe that the money's going to come every month, and so I'm going to send him there. And we look at him, does he really have a clue what he's talking about? We look strangely at people who somehow believe God with their finances and that somehow he'll, he'll care, bring healing to their life. We look at people strangely when they talk about God healing someone in a miraculous way, yet my scripture that I read is loaded with powerful moments where Jesus says, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so what we've done, we've thrown everything out because that seems extreme. Yet what we've done, we've moved completely away from the power and authority in Jesus Christ by not even asking him anymore. Maybe it's because our faith is shallow. Maybe it's because we haven't had a personal encounter with the living Lord in a long time. 
Maybe it's because we haven't even asked the living God to reveal himself in a powerful way. Maybe it's because we just doubt. Maybe it's because he doesn't want to heal, and that's okay. He has the prerogative. We don't assume that. And it's not a special magical formula. By no stretch of the imagination do we presume upon God. There's not a special magical formula. But maybe it's just because we just don't ask. Maybe we don't have the faith to believe that God can bring healing to someone who's struggling with something. I got to ask this question. Where is the faith of the Daniels in the lion's dens? Is that just Old Testament theology? Well, that only happened in the Old Testament, that you could go in harm's way and that Jesus could help you. When's the last time you sat in the lion's den and believed that God would shut the mouth of a lion? Where are the Joshua and Caleb's who said, we can take that mountain, even though there are thousands of them and only a few of us? Where are the mighty men who fought to death in a snowy pit with a battle club against lions? Where are the Peters who walked on water? Where are the giant slayers like David who said, you won't talk about my God like that. No more blasphemy here. Give me a rock. Give me a slingshot. I might be three foot seven and the armor doesn't fit me, but my God is powerful and I'm going to do something about it. Where are the Nehemiahs who said, we're going to rebuild this wall against all opposition and I want you to fight for your brothers, for your sons and your daughters and your wives and your home. Where are those kind of men? Where are the Pauls who went before government officials and boldly declared themselves as Christ followers, knowing full, with full certainty that it might mean they might be killed and ultimately his life was taken? Where are the Jobs who lost everything but still praised the Lord even when his own wife said, you ought to just turn your back on God? Where are the Abraham and Isaacs who were willing to die on an altar because they had a word from the Lord? Where are the Isaacs who are teenagers who believe in their parents because they believe in their God and there's been this unbelievable teaching that's been propping this children up with the gospel of grace and understanding of scripture that even a teenager would willingly jump up on an altar and say, Dad, do what you need to do. Where are those kind of children in our world? Where are the people of faith who pray believing that even if God does not heal, they still believe that he can if he chooses to. And they pray as though he's going to. Where are the Peters who pray bold, audacious prayers? You see, if you want to change the world for Jesus, then throw away your need to tell others how wrongly they are doing it and just live out your faith in a bold way and be a signpost that says something's different. (laughs) There's something different about that weird guy named whomever. There's something weird about that Jim Brown guy. There's something different about a Jason Goon or a Darren Hosopel or a Brandon Troyer. There's something different about a David Massengill or a Robert Hostetler. There's something different about a Steph Lehman or Cheryl McBride or Regina Byler. There's something different about them. There's something different about a Darcy Hosopel. When I encounter them, there's Jesus. And they just believe Jesus. The Bible is clear 
When you begin to live out your faith, Jesus becomes real and everything changes when you face difficult times. The Bible tells us that we have not because we ask not. And I'm not presuming today that because you ask that you always get. But when we ask, do we believe in faith that that's what God can do? Are we willing to even asking? James chapter 5 says this. Just listen, you don't have to turn there. Chapter 5 and verse 13 says this. If anyone of you is in trouble, he should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man or woman is powerful and effective. The best evidence that you are a Christ follower is your willingness to believe in the authority and power of Jesus Christ and to live out your faith. Peter's life was never the same because he saw the post-resurrection Jesus. That should change us because he wrote about it. We should say there's evidence that Jesus is living and he did what he said he would do. He was buried and he was resurrected and the third day he's alive. And yes, Peter stayed with it. In fact, history tells us that he died upside down on a cross, believing that he, his God was real. And why? Because Jesus said what he said he would do. He lived again and overcame death. And Pete saw him post-cross. And the evidence of a resurrection, that, that evidence should cause us to live differently. So what's that mean today? How do, you, how do you walk out of here? How do you leave this place? Well, I think we're family, and we know each other. And you know, I've invested 17 years in Grace Community. And at different times along the way, we've, we've, we've asked God to do some things that only he can do. And so as I was prepping for this message this week, I received a phone call from one of our own who asked us, to James 5, if we would pray over them and anoint him with oil and have the elders of the church pray and ask for her healing. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in God timing moments. So as I'm prepping this message, I received this call from this lady who asked. And so I'm reading this message and I'm prepping for it and I say, okay, Jim, you can either do two things with that. One, you can, you can let it go, and you can go and pray and like we normally do in private, or you can just use it and say, let's just ask God to bring healing. And as a family of believers in all of our services, let's pray for this individual for healing. And so that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to ask that Cheryl McBride would come up on stage. And by the way, this is... Because we believe that Jesus can heal. Do you believe that Jesus can heal? So I'm going to ask Cheryl to come, and I'm going to ask the elders to join me on stage. Cheryl, come here. We love Cheryl McBride, and uh, we love Dakota, and we love Mariah, 
And if you're not familiar with Cheryl's story, she's, she's one of our own, has been one of our own for a while. Her husband passed not very long ago with cancer. Great man of God. He's with the Lord, and praise God for that. Cheryl was diagnosed with cancer not much, hardly any time after he died of cancer. And so she's been through chemo and radiation. She's lost her hair, and she trusts in God. In fact, she's part of our small group at, at home. And, and so the cancer has been staying like it is. Just recently, she found out that she wasn't in remission, and um, she had to go back for some more aggressive treatments. So she called me this week, and, and she said, Pastor Jim, I would love the elders to pray for me and ask the God who heals to heal her. And so... What are we instructed to do? To pray for healing. And so today, we're going to pray for Cheryl's healing. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me in the link in the main here and stretch out your hands. And so our elders are gathered here. This is your leadership team. And by the way, we're not presuming upon God, or, but we're asking him because he says to ask him, right? To ask for healing. And so... God will do what he wants to, but let me tell you this. I believe by faith that it's possible. I believe that our God can do what he did in the New Testament to Cheryl McBride. Do you? And so we're going to pray right now. And so I'm going to ask you to just extend your hands forward in the link. And I'm going to ask elders if you would circle around. And I'm going to ask Darren if you would put some oil on Cheryl. And if you would lead us out in prayer. And then a few others would like to pray, then I'll close in prayer. Father God, your word tells us that we can come boldly and confidently to you. And Lord, I've, I've prayed this prayer boldly and confidently before you. But Lord, this morning I feel led to come humbly before you because I believe that you are in this place. I believe that your desire is to heal Cheryl, to heal her completely, Lord, that mm. she might walk out of here completely whole, completely mm -hmm. healthy, God. And so, God, as I kneel here in your presence, God, that's, that's what I believe. Lord, we don't, we don't bring demands to you. We don't, we don't lay things in front of you and say, you need to prove to us anything, God. You have shown to us over and over who you are. Mm -hmm. But, God, I'm in I, 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 I kneel here amazed right now, God, at the way you have put this together. And I pray that this would be the good that you intend to work out of mm -hmm. this, Lord. Mm -hmm. And God, we just, we just, this we do proclaim, that we believe you are able to do this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Lord, we believe that you are the God who sees us. You are the God who knows us. You are the God who loves us. And so right now, Lord, Cheryl's walking in faith. Mm -hmm. Her mind and her heart and her soul brought her to Jim to request this this week and lord her feet brought her on stage and lord now i just i just pray your complete healing for her body mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i pray this in the name that has the power to do this mm -hmm. in the name of jesus amen Lord, we love this family, and um, Lord, you tell us to uh, to come to you and ask. And so, God, because we we love Cheryl, and, and 
uh, Dakota and Mariah, Lord, we come and we ask on their behalf, Lord, that you would um, see fit to heal her. God, we, we, there's not a, 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 an issue of doubt here, Lord. We believe that you can. Um, but, God, we just ask that in your infinite plan, Lord, uh, that uh, this would be the, um, the day that you would bring healing to her body. We ask, God, that uh, you would um, just remove every, every shred of cancer, Lord, that's mm-hmm. in her. And we mm-hmm. ask, God, that uh, it would just be something that would just bring you all the praise and all the glory. God, we, we look to you because we have nowhere else to turn. God, only you, only you have the words of eternal life. Only you have the power that we're needing, Lord. And so, God, that's why we come to you. Mm. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for allowing us to come into your presence mm-hmm. like this. Thank you, Lord, that we have a God we can cry out to when we need to. I pray, Lord, again, that you would bring healing, complete healing to Cheryl today. Mm-hmm. God, we're not asking you to do anything that you haven't already done for the lives of people. Um, we're just asking you to do it for Cheryl. Mm-hmm. And um, just believing you for that. Pray this all in Jesus' name. God, we all agree here. There's not a man here kneeling that doesn't believe that you are the healing God. There's not a man here that doesn't have faith to believe that you so choose. And so, God, we're just asking you, in your strong name, Jesus Christ, and the power and authority of your resurrection power that was seen by men that we witness and believe today, I ask you in the strong name of Jesus to, to remove this cancer completely, God. I pray, Jesus, there would never come back. I pray there'll be a day in the weeks ahead that we'll look back and say, look what Jesus did. And God, we give you the credit, we give you the praise, and we say thank you, God, for what you can do and we're asking you to do in this moment. We're asking, God, you will restore her. Let her finish her life strong and raise her children. I pray, Jesus, for your strength, your power, and ultimately your glory to be manifested in this moment. And so, God, we ask, in the name of Jesus Christ, please, God, bring healing. We ask this in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.